0: Welcome to Narratives and Nightcaps. In today's very special bonus episode, we're talking to Jesse Filming, author of The Brown Bottle Squeeze, a novel that was published in 2016. He recently finished his newest manuscript, currently titled God Bless You, Mr. Trump, and is in the process of finalizing that and finding a partner for publication. So we are so excited to talk with you today, Jesse. And I guess really quickly, I'm Bree, And I'm Megan.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me on. This is quite exciting. I love the podcast format and the uh, whole nature of what uh, both of you are doing is right up my alley. So thanks again.
0: Thanks. All right. Well, I guess you want to start off by just giving a quick introduction of yourself.
1: Yeah. So uh, my name Jesse Thoming. I've lived and worked in Cedar Rapids, Iowa for 18 years now. I grew up uh, in southern Illinois, I always say in the, the shadow of the St. Louis Arch, because it was only about 30 miles from downtown, but couldn't be any further from a city. It was a very rural community. I think my graduating class was less than 50. Um, right. Went to college in western Kentucky, and uh, my work took me back to the St. Louis area, took me to Texas for a little while, and then it took me to Iowa, where I was supposed to uh, work for six months, maybe a year. And and 18 years later, I'm still in Cedar Rapids, Iowa now doing community development work uh, from a writing standpoint. I got interested in telling uh, stories, um, you know, as a serious hobby in my uh, sophomore year of, of college, uh, I wrote one, I think like 0506 and, and learned a lot from that experience. It wasn't nearly good enough to have published, um, but, uh, you know, I kept at it and uh, the brown bottle squeeze, which you alluded to earlier, Bree, was. Uh, uh, started off as a short story, and when I finished my MBA at the end of 2012, it just kind of hit me that 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 story had uh, a lot more potential. And for the next few years, I, I worked on create or um, having that evolve into a full-length novel. And then this one, <clears throat> excuse me, I uh, I started five years ago. This this weekend, actually, it was the first uh, weekend in March of 2018. I was just looking I back stopped. at some notes. And uh, yeah, as you know, just f- put the finishing touches, at least on this iteration um, right before the holidays.
2: Wow, I mean, that's incredible. And that's definitely one of the questions I was going to ask you too, is how you got started. But I think more importantly, since you've already kind of said what you've been doing to this point, I'm just curious, you, you're you working, you've been working for the last 18 years, how have you been able to do that and also write these two novels now, essentially, you know, one published, one in the works, how have you been able to balance that? Uh,
1: so the, uh, the the back jacket of the brown bottle squeeze states that the main character's mantra is work hard, play harder. And that was certainly mine uh, in my 20s and in my 30s. Uh, like the happy hour on Friday never tasted as good as if I didn't get some work done during the week. Uh, it was always almost impossible for me to, to work every day. I know that's, uh Stephen King's one of my favorites in this space in terms of Uh, Some of the stuff he's written for aspiring uh, and, uh, you know, authors that are trying to get off the ground, like work on it every day. But I I would say for the better part of 20 years now, I've spent at least two or three evenings or early mornings, you know, moving the ball forward. Whatever project I was working on, I always look at it from a week standpoint. How much did you get done with with the benchmark or the baseline being minimum of three times a week? You know, at least two nights a week. You can get to your coffee shop, you can get posted up, get tucked in and comfortable there and, and and hammer two or three or four hours out. And then, you know, a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning. Um, so just holding myself accountable and knowing that, uh, knowing myself that I'm a very goal oriented person that I was not going to be very pleased. Uh, and the celebration on the weekend or that next vacation or, or PTO or whatever just wasn't not going to be as triumphant, as celebratory. if. Uh, you know that at least baseline figure was not met the week before
2: for sure I mean it sounds like that's just equally a lot of sacrifice too I mean do you feel like you had to give things up for to be able to accomplish those things or what did you really have a true balance between the two
1: well I'm a very social person I still you know uh, play a lot of competitive sports. I, I love a good happy hour with uh, with a lot of friends. My wife and I travel a lot. You know, and to be a writer, you have to spend a lot of time alone. So I don't know if it's as much of a sacrifice insofar as when I first started, I started because there was a big void. When I w- from age eight to age 18, I was defined as, you know, from my success or failures um baseball basketball and golf and then you get to college and you know through a couple of bad breaks i i wasn't able to play at the collegiate level but it's the time right like when you're playing uh, high level baseball and basketball in your teen years there's no time right you, you go to school it's practice it's road game it's all the things and then man not only when you get to college do you not have that like a lot of people don't know this uh you know at that at that age College, if you if you have some semblance of organization and just got your arms wrapped around things, college can be way easier than high school because you have so much time. So I wasn't, I remember I wasn't like bummed. I wasn't sad. I wasn't uh, confused. I just, I had this big void and it was a couple books that I read freshman and sophomore year that led me to this. Uh, I I, I really was uh, love music and there's a certain kind of music, but I knew I don't have much talent, but you know, my love of the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix and Bob Dylan kind of naturally led me to a couple of works by Jack Kerouac and by Ernest Hemingway, uh, both their, their like really early stuff before they became Jack Kerouac and Ernest Hemingway. And I remember thinking like, man, I would like to do that. And what they were doing was they were capturing a moment in time, uh, you know, being Americans, it was American history. And they were just like telling you to, w- what was going on in their life through that lens. And these like just seminal moments in our country's history. You know, like the, the Sun Also Rises is about a group of guys and, and women who are just kind of disillusioned with things after World War I and such a waste of life. They don't even want to come back to America. Not that they, they're anti-American. They just don't know what they're doing. They travel through Europe and they do all this Wild stuff, but it's told through the lens of that generation. And it's the same with on the road. Uh, You know, the greatest generation known uh, in our country is the uh, the folks that won World War II and got us out of the Great Depression. On the roads about that next generation is like, well, you know, we're not really into crew cuts and conformity. And they just literally bounced around the country and the the continent for years, getting into jazz and drugs and and all kinds of stuff. But I just I was really taken with both of them those stories in general. And I wanted to do that. I wanted yeah. to capture a moment, tell it through my lens from a fictional standpoint and, uh, and see where that led me. So um, 20 years later, I, I haven't given up on it.
2: <sighs> That's amazing. And I mean, kind of leading into this, it's like you've read all of the questions I'm gonna ask you, but um, could you give a brief summary? Obviously I've never read your newest novel, God bless you, Mr. Trump. Can you give a brief summary of what that is about? I mean, it sounds like it's going to be a piece that also captures a moment in time.
1: Yeah. So uh, I was just attempting, as Brie noted earlier, a connection with a potential agent. And this particular agent didn't just ask for a query letter and then some sample chapters. They wanted the elevator pitch. So I'll start with that Mm -hmm. because I really try to think, like, what is the elevator pitch? And to me, it it's it's simply imagine our country for after a generation of giving every child in america the legitimate opportunity to be instilled with a kind of carl sagan if you don't know carl sagan he's a world class cosmologist and, and astrophysicist but he had just this amazing wonder about existence in the cosmos that came through his literature and his novels and if you gave every kid in america the opportunity to have that kind of sense of wonder the corollary the future is an explosion in creativity and problem solving and harmony that will uh you know it's, it's a hopeful book it, it's the opposite of i've read a lot of dystopian futuristic books because this again the story set in the last hours of 2049 but if we did that what would happen and it, it the, the the hopefulness of it is that a lot of these problems that i personally think are silly that we're dealing with today that consume so much of the national media's attention and of people like just on on either sides not realizing that man at the end of the day we we our common interests and pursuits far outweigh our divisions let's get past this and let's become the country and this quite frankly the species that we uh that, that we're capable of being and you know i it, brie and i've had a lot of chats about this the title Trying to do that, and then having a title like that, I would view it as being provocative, and I want people to be kind of uh, uh, curious as to why I would title it something like that. Um, but it's it's a phrase. It's a phrase used in the future, both by people that adore the 45th president and and who can't stand him, and that I try to tell that very subtly through two uh, through two sets of characters that intersect. And if you've ever had a chance to read All the Light You Cannot See, if you haven't, I, I strongly, yeah, I, that's <laughs> another book that, that was really, really uh, influential for me. And the way that Anthony Doerr told it, and these short, burst like chapters and these two disparate characters intersecting in the last parts of the story, I mean, it was, I think it's like a five or 600-page behemoth. I remember I read it in like three or four nights because I just could not put it down. And a lot of that was because well, every chapter is two pages or three pages. It's boom, boom, boom. Right. Well, i try to do that too with the, the the two sets of characters in god bless you mr trump um but again the, the the thematic element is it's the opposite of a dystopian future it's not i shouldn't say exactly opposite i don't want it to be viewed as totally utopia because at the, nearer the end especially the reader will find out okay well, a lot of this a lot of these problems are and challenges got solved but boy do we have some big ones coming around the bend too
2: right um, I mean, so in terms of the title, A, how did you come up with it? B, is it meant to be sarcastic? Because that's kind of my interpretation. Like, it's it's controversial because, as you mentioned, Trump is hit or miss, really, with right. most of America. But right. Right. I'm interpreting this as like a sarcastic, like, God bless you, Mr. Trump, kind of.
1: Right. So <laughs> it's, it's both. And one thing I I should have mentioned maybe at the jump is that this story is 85 or 88% of that last hours in 2049 and these two characters intersecting. But the other piece, that other 12 to 15% are interspersed um, letters. I call them letters from a citizen. And they're from two different citizens, unnamed. You don't know if they're male or female. You don't know how old they are. You don't know anything about them except one is very pro of the 45th president and one is not. Okay. and they will say god bless you mr trump in two totally different ways Ooh. okay and then the other piece again i love doing uh tips of the hat and homages uh, i mentioned kerouac and hemingway but uh, vonnegut kurt vonnegut was is one of my favorite writers too and one of my favorite kurt Vonnegut's was god bless you mr rosewater that story god bless you mr rosewater's very i mean it, he's not the greatest character in that story uh so that 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 when I read it, it was right at the same time as I was coming up with the, uh, the idea for this. The other piece I'd like to, to mention in terms of the um, you know how it came to be is a conversation I had with a good friend. You know, we, uh, I, we got a group of buddies that we call it a duder trip every year. and We'll go to a big city and then on a Thursday and then Friday, Saturday, we meet up in a college town and go to a tailgate. It was, it's always one of the best weekends of the year. And yeah, I remember it was right at the end of 2017. We're chatting on the phone. He lives in New York now. He's like, you should write a, write a story set in the future about a dudeer trip, but it's like fifty dollars, right? Like guys are living in St. Louis or or Kentucky or wherever, and they go to San Francisco or they go to New York, and they can do it for so cheap because of emerging technologies and automation and other things that make that free up so many much of people's time. So those two ideas kind of got married t- together, and that's how uh, that's how the, God bless you, Mr. Trump was born.
2: Nice. And I mean, biggest question, why should anyone read this book? I mean, what is so different or compelling about this particular novel?
1: I, I'm i so it's, uh, I, well, number one, I, I would hope that anybody that reads it finds it to be uh, an engaging and exciting story that they don't want to put down. They want to find out what happens to these two sets of characters who you can see that are going to eventually intersect, but you don't really know how. Uh, but from a from a higher level standpoint while I was very much influenced by All the Light You Cannot See and doors style, I also want this book to connect with a young audience. I just, I'm heartbroken when I hear that, you know, folks don't, I mean, they get their news from social media. They spend eight hours a day on their phone. And so, you know, all these things, it's like, man, you you just, it's, there's so much more one can get from reading a book, it's probably the greatest human invention of all time. So why not write a story that has a couple of big ideas that tie into folks like Carl Sagan, like Sam Harris, you know, we're living in this time where it's so hard to have conversations like either one side or the other. And it's just like, people always go to their, it seems like they always go to their side, like in a boxing ring and it doesn't matter whatever else you're like, I'm over here. I'm with the red team. I'm with the blue team. And the other side, it's not even looked at anymore as like, you're wrong. It's looked at as they're evil. right? And that's just not sustainable. So I wanted to write a story that it's central, it's central being, we get past that and we get past it through rationality and logic and reason by, you know, kind of following the, the lessons gleaned from people that I, that I, that I just mentioned. And I do it in a way that I hope can, you know, in a, in a time where people's attention can go in a thousand different ways, so much more than when I was even your age. Like, it's, it's just happening at breakneck speed that the way I tell it uh, that, you know, each chapter is only like three or four pages, mostly. Some of them are longer for obvious reasons, but the majority of the chapters are just short, quick scenes that keep the action moving along of these two sets of characters that intersect on the final hours in, in, uh, in San Francisco.
2: How do you feel like, or do you feel like, you've remained fairly politically neutral? I mean, this sounds like it's obviously a semi-politically charged book. And do you feel like your voice, your personal voice comes through in that at all? Or have you been able to remain pretty neutral?
1: Well, so one of the devices I used was to have those two, um, um, the, the authors of the letter be from two di- different vantage points mm-hmm. right and they get equal they get equal they get equal time on the page okay i think both of them have four four a piece so that was one way and then the other way from a political standpoint and some of the stuff that we uh that were you know wrapped around the axle these days there's a lot of stuff where one side you know they, they might not have all the solutions but they are at least acknowledging the problem i'll give you two examples one you know, it, it just it bothers me tremendously that the richest country in the history of the world and the country with the strongest military in the history of the world, citizenry, their number one cause of bankruptcy is medical bills. Like that that equation does not balance at all for me. It's 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 ridiculous. And it needs to be addressed. There's one there's one side in, in that argument that's at least proposing different things and trying to move the ball forward. And there's another side that doesn't even want to talk about it. Another example is um, the human activity accelerating a changed climate. And one and two, or one A, one B, that we can still do something about it. And by doing something about it, we can. There'll be new uh, industry. There'll be new business. There'll be new economy. It can, it can be a win win. So a couple of those things are touched upon, and the reader can be like, oh, this is some you know liberal uh, fantasy world," and 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 he's espousing that. But the, the 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 wrinkle to that, and this is very subtle, and this is something I might have to work on more with Bree or, or you know a future uh, publishing partner or whoever. But one of the one of the themes that that's slightly hinted at that I might expound upon a little bit more and then I think should be our goal is that in the future the, the 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 color of a person's skin matters as much as the color of a person's hair does today can you imagine if the three of us owned a corporation and we're sitting in we okay we got 20 openings and we gotta we gotta make some hires and we gotta do it quick and I turn to Bree I'm like we haven't hired any redheads in forever. We're, you know, like, no, of course not. That would not never happen. That's silly. Right And I we'll know it's so much more complicated and challenging than that, especially in our country. But the reason there's a couple of things that I refer to in the story. But from a reality standpoint, I've seen with my own eyes how far the uh, the, the gay community, the LGBTQ community, has come in you know less than a generation. I mean, I can tell you in 1997, 98, 99. Even though I'm not gay, I got called gay slurs all the time because I was very, um, you know, I love to to uh, get into it. Let's say with the uh, with the opposing with the opposing fan base, and they weren't afraid to call me any name under the book, right? I use that example because there's no way that happens today. And in terms of race, as many problems as we still got to get through, it, it, I think it's an undeniable fact that our parents were a lot less racist than our grandparents my generation was a lot less racist than my parents generation and the newer generation you guys are a lot less racist than we are and let's just let's keep if we keep going that direction that hopefully by 2050 we can get to that place where we got it licked and and we really are a true melting pot that has natural equality that you know is uh is that ideal future state that we can get to. No.
0: I so, think being able to have those conversations is partly what does that too. And that's one thing that narratives like this and other ones, that's part of the reason we even started this podcast and wanted to go down this route is because of the dialogue and the conversations that they can open. And I, I mean, I even know that a different novel that Megan and I covered was heavily centered around race and we're uh, same thing. We're two white girls from Iowa talking about it, but the fact that a novel has the power to open up those conversations and so that people can have the dialogue and it's not this divisive, you know, conversation between two people. It's just having the ability to, to talk about it and see if we can continue to move in the direction. And I think it's powerful when a novel like yours and others can help to educate people and help to at least give them a different perspective or make them think for a second about a different perspective, because that's, I know you touched on it a bit earlier, but that's one of the biggest things today is that it it feels like most people just don't even want to hear the other side at all.
2: Um, And so, no, it's a great point. Definitely. And I guess, I mean, Jesse, are you pretty... I guess interested in history. I mean, is that something that you studied? Is that something that you took courses in, or where did this love for history and just expanding that taste come from?
1: Yeah. So, uh, it starts with my I, I have fabulous parents who were both teachers. My dad really instilled that in me at a very young age. Uh, but I'll tell you another quick story. The kinds of, that kind of ties into to writing as well. It was uh it was Memorial Day weekend 2008 and I was in the gas lamp district with a buddy of mine in San Diego California We're having a great time we're up at this rooftop bar and I'll never forget this it just it was one of those conversations that still to this day sticks with me uh ran into a fellow writer and you know we're talking all smack you know back and forth it's great and I'll never forget him asking so how many are you putting down a year and he meant like how many how many books are you reading I remember like, oh, you know, I read three to five, you know, and I just remember his immediate reactions, like, get, get out of here. Get, stop, what are you doing? What are you, are you serious? Three to five? It's like, if you're going to be any good, it's like, one, you're not even going to like a creative writing school. You're working. You've got some silly degree from Murray State. You're not putting down at least 15 to 20 books a year. Just don't, and it, man, did that stick with me. So ever since then, I have, I mean, I took it to heart. Um, my goal is always I to read 30 good books every year, and I try to really balance it. I, um, I never read a novel back-to-back. I'll go novel, nonfiction, so I'm reading anywhere from 12 to, to 16 nonfiction books a year, and I try to have at least 25, sometimes 50% of those uh, history, um, and I'll always think through, like, what, what topics that I, uh, I want to learn some more about. And I also think, too, that uh, it's, again, going back to what I was talking about with social media and people's attention. You know, there's a common phrase that says uh, we got to know our history, otherwise you're doomed to repeat it. I, I, I don't I don't see eye to eye with that as much as um, we learn our history so we can be liberated from it. And, oh, man, I, I just know so many young people. And, and that's why I'm so taken with this podcast. I think it's fantastic. And just getting to be friends with Bree these last few weeks and months. Um, there, it seems to me there's too big of a percentage of folks who don't care about anything that happened before they were born or before they came of age. And that's, uh, that's a dangerous thing because technology especially is, is is not going like this. It's not linear. It's going like this, right? And we really need to understand where we come from. So we have an appreciation of where we're going and where we're trying to get to.
2: Definitely, I'm. Um, I mean, I'm with. You. Like, I I have a son, and I'm just very curious. I mean, he's not even two years old yet, and I'm so curious where even in his lifetime, this type of conversation will go for him. Just because, a the new technology, b what they choose or choose not to teach in school will probably affect a lot of what he learns as well. But also, I mean. I love history, but I'm no historian by any means. I mean, I can't cover all of the, I mean, Bree and I actually were just having a conversation about this um, from another book that we're covering on the podcast of just how much we feel like maybe we missed in school, like either it wasn't taught or just wasn't covered extensively. And so I think for future generations, especially, I mean, it's gonna be important for the parents probably to have a lot of understanding of that, but also I would like to think maybe positively social media could have an impact or a spin on that in just terms of education but we'll have to see what happens there <laughs> it, it
1: certainly has the potential to do so there's no doubt about it
2: it does i i mean i just hope
0: that the the younger generations and i think even to my younger brothers that i have and i just hope that they stay curious yes and and want to continue to learn and I do, I just, I know we're one sector of the world, but I think that books and novels just have a way of doing that fiction and nonfiction. Sometimes it's a fiction novel that sparks someone's interest to take it even deeper, but I just hope that they stay curious and want to continue learning
2: more about our past. Right, for sure. And and this kind of leads into the next question, um, you know, so being positive, looking to the future, um, not just the future of the world, but specifically the future of, you know, America. What I mean, what could be so positive out of your novel based on what's going on today? What is sparking probably hopefully future growth and future potential, even as a comparison of what's happening right now?
1: So Let's put uh, let's put like some of the some latest uh, controversial policy to the side and just look at it holistically that (sighs) there's never been a better time to be alive because of the following reasons. Right. And I'm talking this isn't just uh, on the United States. This is worldwide. Literacy rates, child mortality. Um, overall, you know, pulling people out of abject poverty, like everything is increasing in the right way. The problem is, and I don't want everyone to be one of these guys that says, oh, the media, because the media is so many different things. But the media is never going to cover the 10,000 beautiful bridges that that brought billions of people from one space to the next space, right? They got to cover the one that falls. That's just the nature of, um, you know, that's just the nature of of who we are in our, our society, but why I'm still optimistic, even though we're going through such a um, just contentious time is what, well, one, what I alluded to, like the, the, the central part of the story is that this new educational feature, this new advancement, this new program helps a generation of Americans get passed through the silliness as I call it. But the other thing is, all we got to do is keep doing what we're doing. Like I talked about with race, do we spike the ball in the end zone and say touchdown? Absolutely not. There's still a lot of work to do, but we're trending in the right direction. There's a lot of people on the, that, are, that are environmental activists that, that are doing a lot of good work. But if you talk to them, they'll say you don't have kids or whatever. The, the, the future is abysmal. Since 1970, since the very first birthday when the EPA was passed, When the Clean Air Act was passed, when the Clean Water Act was passed, we've moved the dial so far to the point where I think this country I just read is 45 percent powered on renewables. Okay, so, again, let's keep doing what we're doing. Let's do what works. If we continue to do that and we can get past these culture war issues that are making us crazy and if we use social media productively and if we make another thing I haven't alluded to um, yet is the, another sub theme of this book is the science of happiness that there's going to be and I, there might already be out there but I think it's going to be a lot more concrete um, you know there you we should only be on these things 90 minutes a day right or whatever that number is and we you know we should engage more we should read more and there's another there's another piece that we're just um Got the uh, the tip of the iceberg on. I I think that that psychedelics, especially psilocybin, and you know not to sound like a crazy hippie, but we're, we're showing <laughs> that this these things work and they can help combat the mental health crisis that's taking place today. And again, being that we've only scratched the surface with these things, I think everything that I just tried to articulate in 90 seconds, you put all that together, you keep pushing forward, we get past this contentious phase. Uh, and the and the young kids teach us how to use social media productively, but not having us ruin lives. I, I that's, that those are the main things that I uh, that I, I hope hopefully optimistic about the future. One last thing, uh, going back to social media and wh- why we got to get this corrected. Like I just read the other day, the average teenage girl takes 200 pictures of herself before she'll use the one on social media. You know, I'm not that old. I remember quite vividly what it was like growing up. And it was tougher for my, my, my girlfriends, you know, like they, they, they uh, mature faster at that age. It's just, it's a little, but it's, it's much more challenging for, for a young woman than it is a young guy in a lot of, in a lot of respects. And when I read that, it's just like, well, you talk about just adding horrible fuel to a fire. Um, I, but I, but I, I think that that can be corrected. And I think, again, that it can be used uh, productively and positively in the future. You know, we no, none of, no no human being signed up for this experiment, right, in terms of social media. It just came one yes. day and then all of a sudden we're absolutely connected. And any knucklehead uh, now has a microphone of which they can share just about anything they want at any time. I think we'll get it figured out. And I think it'll be the younger generation that realizes, whoa, what were we thinking there? And they'll get it figured out and we'll uh, we'll be able to use it productively. And then the other stuff, moving along. And there are reasons to be uh, quite optimistic about the future.
0: I think that's funny. A lot of people today, I think they forget that we are in that experimental time with this technology and, mm-hmm. and especially for, I mean, starting around like Megan and I with our age, but even then there are you know I still remember a time without social media and everything like that but still around the age and people just seem to forget because it is around us in every aspect that we that we do and what we say i think they forget that it is still experimental and there's still a lot that can and will change with all of that
2: so it's a really good point for sure i mean it's just it's an evolution it's I mean, yes, we've had social media for the last, I don't know, 15 years, but that doesn't mean that this is how it's staying. My husband and I, I mean, kind of a random tangent, but we always talk about this relating to music because we're like, oh my gosh, like how much further can music really go? I mean, aren't we already there? But then it's like, you know, every year a new sound comes out, a new hit comes out that you're like, okay, wow, that is really different. Or you know, like the, the mumble rap, like, where did that come from? That's not what little Wayne used to sound like. So it's all very, I mean, it's all just constantly evolving. And I mean, as if your if your book touches on that, then I think that's huge, because I feel like that does need to be put back into perspective that we are just starting off, really. I mean, this is just a portion of the journey to where our future can go.
1: Absolutely. I think
0: people forget that with the technology and how fast we've seen it change recently. It has, it's happened quicker than any other time in our history. When you look at technology evolving, you know, 50 years ago, a hundred years ago, it was a much slower pace for Mm -hmm. changes to happen and to really take effect and go like be implemented in society. And I think people forget that aspect too, of how, fast everything moves
2: today. Yes.
1: Think of it like this, I'll give you a quick little timeline that uh that that's an excellent analogy in terms of how fast everything's moving. It was 200,000 years ago that the Homo sapiens came arose, right? There had been the Homo genus for I think uh about 5 million years. Homo sapiens come about 200,000 years ago. The agricultural revolution comes about 10,000 years ago and we can have Mass food production and people are able to build towns and cities and you get a little more time. And then it was 200 years ago, we had the Industrial Revolution. It was 70 years ago, we had the Atomic Age. Now, uh, most pundits are calling this the Digital Information Age. It's about 15 or 20 years old. You think about that timeline. pretty wild.
2: It just gets smaller and smaller and smaller. in terms of time past which is insane um so jesse what's next for you i mean you have one book out one in the works that i would love to read a copy of because i just find this so interesting but what is um next on your radar
1: well i I set this up very much to be a trilogy okay uh and i would very i would love to finish the trilogy we're gonna see what happens this year I, i you know I just love to see it in hard copy. I I, I would love to have the, the, the best, best chance for success, not, not just to be a famous author. I just, I want people to read this story. I want it to turn on a young generation um, in the reading and in some of the ideas that inspired me ranging from Carl Sagan, to Richard Dawkins and Jennifer Doudna and Sam Harris. Uh, and then I, yeah, like I said, I, I there's there's I got the part two and part three. I mean, it's between the ears. I don't have really anything written down. Um, but then, you know, I in between my 2016 publication and before that, and in between the time where I the, the first one, um, I don't want to say it was a failure because I learned a lot from it. But I have uh, I have like five or six, uh, not necessarily short stories, but they're not novellas. They're kind of like okay. in that in between. They're like 50 to 70 pages. I would love to write one more. That I have in mind, and, uh, and and compile all those together in a, in a, a compilation. If you again going back to, uh, it seems like I'm always writing stuff where, from which I'm inspired. The uh, George Orwell's Animal Farm, if mm-hmm. you're familiar with that? It's a it's a it's, it's a parable of you know far, uh, farmland animals, especially pigs, and it compares socialism to through uh, to communism. One one pig is based on. Trotsky, and the other one's based on Stalin, and it's fabulous. It's a great read. I would love to write a similar one, based in a swamp, that uh, where the the analogy, the parable, comes down to uh, American conservatism versus American liberalism, told through the eyes of swamp characters, with a with a, a certain beaver being the uh, being the uh, protagonist of the story.
2: Interesting. I will say, I think Animal Farm was probably my most stand out college read like I just that was a book that I was just like wow this is eye-opening because I mean you don't hear and especially from the perspective of of animals I mean that just puts it into the most simple basic terms that you could possibly imagine so I'm glad that you made that comparison because that that would be a really interesting read.
1: (laughs) I I still I still use lines from that story uh, almost weekly anytime I get you know, in my role, uh, it, it's uh, it's I, I love my job for a lot of different reasons, but I also have to serve a lot of masters. And and it's a lot of times when I get a, a mean-spirited email, like criticizing somebody on my team or something downtown's not doing good, I'll respond, "We'll work harder." And that's all I'll say. As like just the, the horse, if you remember that in the Animal Farm story, when uh, when they couldn't meet the uh, when they when they couldn't meet all the goals, the horse will just say, "We'll work harder." <laughs>
0: It's memorable for sure. One of the things I wanted to touch on, if you're good with it, is also just some honesty around the publication process and how challenging that is when you're not this world famous author. And I think you said it really well, you know, anyone that writes for the right reasons, just want it to be heard like they want people to pick it up they want someone to read their story whether for education or artistry um i heard it really well the other day on a different podcast about someone saying i just wanted to write a book that someone wanted to pick up they would pick it up and they would read it in their free time because they wanted to because that's not something that a lot of people have today is free time so when you're giving your time and attention to something it says a lot but the reality is the publication process for wannabe writers can honestly be a bit discouraging and I guess how have you stayed motivated through all of that I know I sort of have my take on it and and hard work and believing in a story and believing in all that but is there anything specific that you continually remind yourself about through that process
1: yeah, the the one theme there for me is create something that cannot be ignored and it won't. My first uh, brown bottle squeeze was, was mostly for me, right? I, I wanted to tell that, st- I wanted to have that short story that I had on a Microsoft Word document come to life. So I, I wasn't, I, there was never any part of me that thought it was going to be this, you know, big hit or get me out of corporate America or even, you know, whatever. This one's different, not saying that I expect it to be the one that that gets me into the uh, the spotlight or allows this to be a full-time uh, profession for me. But I also think that with the right plan and the you know right partner like you, um, it's got a chance because you know, I think you and I talked about this a little bit when Donald Trump got elected in November sixteen. I did not want to be one of those people. And if either one of you were, I'm not I don't. Don't judging, but I just didn't want to do it to myself because I know how riled up I can get. Because I knew, I mean, I've known about, I've known this guy since the 80s. And I knew he was going to do and say stupid stuff every day. I didn't want to get online and be like, bah, 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 you know, I can't believe this has happened. No, I channeled that in, in a lot of ways into the story, into the narrative. And the fact of the matter is, love him, hate him, there is uh, Megan alluded to this. There's no indifference with Donald Trump, and he sells, he sells, and that's why that's one of the reasons I wanted to use his name. I'm like he, he caused me some personal angst for for four years being our country's leader. Uh, I would like very much to use his name to sell a story that I think should be uh, read in mass by the uh, by the younger generation. So uh, maybe it's a little pie in this guy thinking. But that's what keeps me charged. And then, like we talked about at the jump too, like it, e- even if it doesn't get published, and we got to go the, the, the self-publishing route, and it only sells a dozen copies, I, I like the final product. And again, the uh, the happy hours, the vacations, the Saturday nights with my friends, they 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 don't uh, they're, they're not the same as if uh, you know that week before there wasn't some really solid positive productivity.
0: No, I think that's right. And I I like that your journey started out by writing a story that was for you. I think that that's often how a lot of writers get started is they write the story that they just need to get on paper, Um, whether that's for something personal or just an idea that they had to run with. And I think it's awesome to see that evolve. And I'm really grateful to be on this next step with you and and i think that's a big part of it is believing in it and i know one of the things that i ever since i read god bless you mr trump i love that it's an optimistic look at the future i don't think that that is talked about enough today i think it's really easy to to get sucked into the doom and gloom of everything that's all around us and so to have such a positive take on what and education and technology can do for this country and for the world is is a great take for anyone to read and hopefully gives them a little bit of hope as well. So,
1: well said. That's uh, that's better than that's that's exactly what we're, we're we're trying to do with this.
0: All right, Jesse, I'm gonna plug you. So. If you want to follow along with Jesse's newest novel, as well as the Brown Bottle Squeeze, you can go to robertsjt.com, which we'll also include in the podcast notes. You can easily link to it, or you can follow him on Instagram at GT Roberts author. Thanks so much for your time today and for telling us about your novel.
1: Thank you. This is outstanding. And again, I just, uh, I love what the two of you are doing with the, with the content matter. And- um, everything that you guys are discussing on, on your podcast. Fantastic.
0: Oh, thanks. We appreciate that. All right. Cheers.
1: All right. We'll see you next time.
0: Thanks for listening. Music for this podcast was created by Remington Haynes. Join the conversation by emailing us at narrativesandnightcaps at gmail.com or visit our website, narrativesandnightcaps.com. Until next time, we hope you're enjoying a wonderful narrative.